So as Andy introduced, today is a standalone message, not part of a series, just one, one sermon on serving. Uh, and uh, we're a pretty new church. Cornerstone just launched in the fall. We want, launched our weekly service in October, October 3rd. And so really this message is for everyone that's been coming, that's been a part of Cornerstone. If this is your first week, don't feel pressured to uh, begin serving just this week. Take some time, get to know us. Um, But hopefully, I pray that God will stir all of your hearts to be involved in some way. So let me pray for us, and then we will begin. Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is your words given to us. I pray that... I would take these words and apply them correctly to us, and that we would most importantly hear from you, uh, that you would stir our hearts, and that we would learn something, but then also take action steps as a response to what we learned. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you had a a dream project, just any sort of project, any, any, any project that's taken place throughout all of time that you knew you could be a part of, what would it be? So for some of you, maybe it would be, uh, you know, helping film uh, your, your most favorite movie. Uh, I, I asked one person this question this week, and they said they would have liked to have worked on the Manhattan Project, which I thought was a little weird. That's okay, that was Anthony, our worship leader. <laughs> Can't get away with that. Uh, maybe there's something else. So you might as guess that... I was thinking, at least kind of in general, a really cool project are the moon landings. So this is a picture of Apollo 11. This is, I think, one of the coolest projects in history uh, that NASA undertook as a result of uh, President Kennedy in 1961. He set a national goal of landing a man on the moon and getting back to Earth. This is a pretty cool project. But in order to achieve this success, uh, it needed a lot of people. A lot of people had to band together uh, and to be employed by NASA and to, to help achieve this mission. In fact, at its peak, so when it was employing the most people, the Apollo program was employing 400,000 people to get to the moon. And that included about 20,000 different firms and uh, like universities to get them there. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's mind-boggling. But when we think about the success of Apollo 11 and some of those other missions, we don't really think about the 400,000. We think about just a couple of people. We think about Neil Armstrong, the first man to set foot on the moon. We think about Buzz Aldrin. Now, this is actually a picture of Buzz Aldrin, not Neil Armstrong. I learned that this week. But in fact, there have been many people, and I wanted to focus on just a really unique group of individuals that were essential to this mission. And this is, I'm going to show you some pictures. Because these are the pictures of the women who made the spacesuits. All right, so these are seamstresses. And they were usually employed making women's undergarments. But their company won a contract to help build the spacesuits. That's pretty cool. Now, I want you to notice something about them. Uh, They are older, younger. They make sewing look really cool. 
And they were using their talents, their gifts, to do different things to build these spacesuits, different nationalities, different walks of life. And yet all of them were an important piece of getting us to the moon and returning Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin safely. It's pretty cool how they were used in that way to get us there. This is a very exciting project, and it took normal people just like you and just like me to get us there. Now, I have an opportunity today. I am presenting you with an opportunity to be involved in a project that is a million times more exciting than getting to the moon. It's called Building God's Kingdom, being a part of what God is doing in this world, in this universe. See, this is in our minds and hearts, this story. It's going to be in all of U.S. history as just an amazing achievement. But when you get involved in God, in God's kingdom and what God is doing, that will last forever. That has eternal worth. So when we serve Jesus by serving the church, by serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, it has eternal value. Now, today we're looking at the book of Exodus. And I had someone email me out today and be like, what does this passage have to do with serving? So I hope by the end you'll understand what this passage is. It's kind of a unique passage, and so it should be a little bit more interesting to look at. But it's a story of the prophet Moses, the leader of Israel, offering several people, calling several people, uh, to get involved in the construction of the tabernacle. So uh, the tabernacle was built at the beginning of kind of Israel's journey. And tabernacle simply means a tent of meeting. It's a tent of meeting, or it's a a dwelling place. And it's a place where the people met with God, where God met with the nation of Israel. And in this tent, there was a courtyard. I don't have a picture of it today. Uh, I'm sure you can find it online. There's a courtyard, there's altars, and then there's this kind of two-chambered tent where there's like a rectangle in the first half, and then there's a cube in the the back half, and the first half is the holy place, and the back half is the most holy place. And it was said that God dwelled in that most holy place. It was a a kind of a cube. You guys remember last week when Bernie, who did such a great job, uh, talked about the new heaven and the new earth, the cube coming down out of heaven? This is the same idea, the same place, the most holy place. And God would dwell in that place, and then uh, he would uh, take form as a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire and lead the nation of Israel through the wilderness and where he wanted them to go. So the construction of the temple, or of the, of the tent, of the tabernacle was very important. It was, uh, God gave actually a very detailed plan. So if you go back after today and you read Exodus chapter 25 through chapter 31, you'll see the, the detailed plans that God is giving the nation of Israel, giving Moses for the tabernacle. And here in Exodus 31, at the end of that, God calls several people specifically to help in the construction of the tabernacle. So he sets forth the plans and then he calls the workers So I wanted us to look at the different types of people that get involved with the tabernacle. But first, we're talking about God calling people to serve. So I want to explain what is a calling. And I believe God's calling is three things. God's call is a choice, a filling, and a gifting. 
God's call is a choice, a filling, and a gifting. I'm going to read through the first five verses. You're welcome to read along with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. So first, God's call is a choice. And it's not necessarily our choice, it's God's choice. It's God choosing us. Now we see in the first five verses, God choosing a specific man, Bazel, to kind of be the leader of the, the, the tabernacle construction. Now, when Israel left Egypt, so I hope you know that story. You can watch the Prince of Egypt or read the book of Exodus, and you can learn the story of, of Moses leading the people out of Egypt, out of bondage. And when they left, it was said that there were 603,550 men. So that was a lot of men. And so you can imagine their families, uh, if they had sons, daughters, wives, uh, it was probably about 2 to 3 million people that left Egypt that were in the Exodus. And yet God reaches into that crowd and he plucks one. He plucks Bazel. He chooses Bazel to lead in the construction. And there's a very simple principle here, that if God chooses you to serve him, you cannot hide in the crowd. (laughs) Doesn't matter how big the crowd is. We only have, what, 70 people here, roughly? Well, maybe God is calling you, God is choosing you to be involved somehow in what God is doing in his kingdom today, just like God chose Bazel. So first, God's calling is a choice. It's a choosing. It's on God's behalf. And second, God's call is a filling. Now, in Scripture, kind of the main filling you see here is the filling of Bazel with the Holy Spirit, there are actually different types of fillings. Now, we at Cornerstone are not particularly a kind of charismatic church. We don't necessarily do like talking in tongues. Maybe some of you know what that means. But there is this concept in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, of a special anointing of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that means just that the Holy Spirit comes upon people or persons in just a special way enabling them and empowering them to do his ministry. And we see that right here with Bazel. And so one of the reasons when we, when we pray at Cornerstone, uh, at the beginning of the service, we pray a prayer of invocation. And invocation means calling. So we're calling the Holy Spirit to come into Cornerstone and come into our worship service and be here in a special way to fill our community. And so we can ask that same calling to come upon us and to fill us to serve God. Because in our own strength, and our own power, we're simply not going to be good enough. So that's what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. But we also see God filling Bazel with some other gifts. He fills him with wisdom. Now, wisdom is not just knowing the right thing. It's also doing the right thing. So it's a little, bit, a little different than knowledge, which is pure head knowledge, It's knowing what to do. Ultimately, wisdom is a sign of character. So God wants people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and thus have character, that honor God with their choices and with their decisions. And then God also fills Bazel with uh, knowledge and with understanding. This kind of gets into the gifting. And so I think in these verses, we're seeing three ingredients of a successful servant of God. They're the Holy Spirit, 
their character, and their gifting. So first, God's call is a choice, it's a filling, and third, it's a gifting. Now, it talks about understanding knowledge, so this is really where we get into gifting. What's the difference between a skill and a gift? So we're going to talk about talented workers later. I do think it's referring to gifting. So what's the difference between, excuse me, a skill and a gift uh, versus that of just being capable? Well, I am capable of swimming, but I am not skilled or gifted at swimming. If you come to the pool, you'll see that. There's a lot of thrashing about, a lot of water going everywhere. So being gifted or being skilled is, is, is more unique than just being capable of doing something. It's being really talented. It's, it's being really special at doing it, that you have some sort of unique, uh, just God-given ability that's a little bit natural to just who you are. And I think we actually see, uh, we see lists of gifts in the New Testament, So in Romans chapter 12, we read that during the service, we saw prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see some more. We see healing, miracles, tongues. Now, we're not looking at those verses today, but there is a principle that we can kind of pull out from those passages. That because they differ in different books, they don't all match each other. That means that the, 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 lists of the, the, kind of the, the list of the giftings is representative instead of being comprehensive. So these aren't the only gifts, in other words, in the scriptures. And that, that means I think you can be gifted in other things. You can be gifted in photography, website design, construction, working with kids, fitness. You can be gifted or skilled in all of these areas. But what's the difference between a gifting and a skill. I believe ultimately it comes down to this. It's using it for God. Using it to bring God praise, to bring God glory instead of just using it for yourself. So maybe you're really good at photography, but you use it simply for yourself. Well, then that's, that's, a, that's wonderful. You can do that. But what about taking that skill and saying, I'm going to use this for God, and I want this ultimately to bring him praise, to bring him glory When I take photos, whether it's nature or anything else, I want to do it as if I'm honoring God. Suddenly, this skill is being used to honor God, and it's a gift. And I do believe some of these giftings uh, that the the New Testament lists are specifically for the upbuilding of the church, some of the leadership teaching. It's for building up the body of God. And we can take other gifts and other skills and use them to honor God as well. But those ones are essential. They're really quite needed. So God gives us gifts or skills to serve him, to join his mission, mission, and to honor him in a special way. God's call is a choice, it's a filling, and it's a gifting. God calls us to serve. How will you answer? Now, I really, sometimes I reference movies, all the times, in fact, uh, and I really like Captain America. I really like the Marvel Universe. I like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I won't go into those today, but I'm going to go into the kind of the Marvel Universe. Now, Captain America, the first Avenger, came out in 2011. And in the beginning, there's the protagonist named Steve Rogers. And he is short, he is scrawny, he is unhealthy, but he feels called. 
he feels chosen uh, by something inside of him to join the military and to serve his country. But no matter how hard he tries, he can't get into the military. He keeps getting rejected. But throughout the course of the movie, we see a, a Bavarian scientist named Dr. Abraham. He recognizes the character that Steve Rogers has, and he chooses him for a special military program to serve his country. See, he doesn't choose him for the outside characteristics, for the appearance, but what's on the inside. And he chooses him, and then eventually we see Steve Rogers go through a, a kind of transformation where he is filled, he is actually filled with kind of this scientific serum, and then vita rays are applied to him, and suddenly outbursts Captain America, who's tall, handsome, and very, very strong. And immediately he's put to the test. His skills are brought out as he has to chase after a Hydra assassin. But it's not really till the end of the movie where he's, or about midway through the movie as he's protecting his fellow soldiers that he realizes his gifting to protect them, to lead other men. See, in Captain America, although it's kind of a silly illustration, we see him being chosen, we see him being filled and we see him being gifted. How much more does God call us? Does he fill us when he fills us with the Holy Spirit? See, we are much more gifted than Captain America. We have God himself dwelling inside of us. We've become the new tabernacle where God comes and rests inside of us. His spirit lives in us if you know Christ. And now suddenly you have the power to serve God, to bring God fame, to bring God honor. See, the good news is you don't have to be as tall or as cool as Captain America to serve God because you have enough. You have God. Now we're going to look at three different types of people that God calls, three different ways. First, we're going to look at Bazel. Bazels, they are servant leaders. We're still looking at verses 1 through 5. I believe if you look at the text, you see that Bazel was a servant leader. Now, here's what we know of Bazel. His name means, in Hebrew, his name means in the shadow of God. So imagine God is standing close by and kind of casting his shadow on this man. That's what his name means. And it's really, it's given us a picture that Bazel is being protected by God, that he is in God's presence. So people aren't going to mess with Bazel. It says he's from the tribe of Judah. So the nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes. And each tribe, if you, lead, if you read the end of the book of Genesis, so we're going to be preaching on Genesis just next week, come back and hear more. Uh, each tribe is kind of given a specific blessing. And we see that the tribe of Judah is really kind of the royal tribe. It's the ruling tribe. It's the tribe that's to, to lead the other ones. And eventually, it's the tribe that Jesus comes out of, that the Messiah, the chosen one, the chosen king is born from. He's also a craftsman. He's an artisan. An artisan is someone who works with their hands, who can make skilled objects. We see him doing that with gold, silver, and bronze. And here we see Moses placing him in charge of the construction of the tabernacle. So that makes sense. He has a special name. He has a royal lineage. He has the gifting. He has the talent. 
And so there's the temptation to be prideful, to get puffed up, but we don't really see that here. We see a servant who humbly accepts God's call. And I believe that there is this kind of inherent humility in the text because he accepts God's call. And in those earlier chapters, God lays it out how God wants it done. Bazal says, okay, I'll do it that way. He doesn't say, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to submit to his plans. I'm going to, I'm going to catch a hold of what God is doing, and I'm going to obey God. He is a servant to God, but he's also a leader. And notice, as he obeys God, he's actually serving the whole community of Israel because uh, what he does, building that tabernacle, helps benefit those two to three million people as they suddenly now have a place to worship God, to offer sacrifices. Bazel was a servant leader. Now, at Cornerstone Congregational Church, our servant leaders are our elders and our deacons. Now, at this time, we don't have elders and deacons. We're working towards those as soon as we become autonomous. We have elders at Emmanuel Church, our parent church, but this time we don't yet have them. So we have the church plant ministry team kind of filling that elder role, and then we have the trustees filling the, the deacon role. But our ultimate desire and what I think we can already see in some of these, these, these teams, these leadership, this leadership, is that they are to be servant leaders. Our philosophy of ministry, so that's how we do things at Cornerstone, it says for the elders, it says this. It says that Jesus' model of servant leadership must be followed. So we don't want to be leaders. We don't want to have leaders that lord it over us. We want to have leaders that seek to honor God, that, that model Jesus. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, he washed his disciples' feet. We want leaders that recognize it takes humility to lead others. And the word deacon means like servant. It means minister. And they are to have servant-hearted attitudes, putting others first. So servant leaders, whether they're elders or deacons, are to seek the Spirit's will together as teams. Notice that we don't have individual bazels at Cornerstone. <laughs> we don't have a, an individual bazel figure. We have bazels. We have teams that seek God's will together. And if you're just starting to get into church, just starting to volunteer, it's good to seek to one day be a deacon or an elder, but don't start there. Just get involved. We'll get there in a little bit. Now, I have never served in the military. Um, I tried, but that's a different story. We won't get into that today. Uh, but I think chain of command is a little similar to what we're looking at in this passage. We're going to look at uh, another figure and then kind of the, the wider uh, portion of volunteers. And on an aircraft carrier, so going back to the chain of command, there are roughly 6,000 people that uh, take part of being on an aircraft carrier. They have their different roles and positions, and all are important, whether you are the commanding officer or whether you are a deckhand. Every single uh, crew member and air crew member are an important part of what it means to be on an aircraft carrier. So I think it's okay if, if this helps you to think about elders or deacons as kind of being officers on the, the ship. Now, this does not mean that we are in any way superior to anyone else. Absolutely not. Because we're all sinful, we're all broken. But God puts in place different positions of leadership to lead his people. But we need everyone else. We need uh, everyone else to come along and get involved. The deckhands, the other crew members that are important and essential to the task of going on the mission. 
Now, I want to point out one quick thing. We don't have a Moses at Cornerstone. So in, in this story, Moses is kind of the, the central leader. He's the one who's in charge of everything. He has the final call. See, our Moses at Cornerstone is Christ. It's Jesus himself. Jesus in the New Testament is really a second Moses kind of figure. So Moses kind of prefigures him. If you look at Moses and you look at Jesus, you'll see similar characteristics. And what that means is that at Cornerstone, ultimately, we always try to submit to Jesus in his will. We want to follow him on his mission. It's not following Jonathan. It's not following uh, the pastor. It's not following even necessarily the elders. They're not the, the Moses. But we together try to submit to God and follow him. And so that's kind of how this structure works here at Cornerstone. God calls us to serve. How will you answer? Bazels are servant leaders, and we need more servant leaders. But we also need others. And that gets us to our next person, Ohiliab. Ohiliab are humble, Ohiliabs are humble helpers. Verse 6 says this, first half of verse 6, Moreover, I have appointed Ohiliab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. It's such a quick call-out to Ohiliab, but I, see, I think we see some really important principles here. Ohiliab was willing to help Bazel and to be humble about it. See, God calls Ohiliab to help Bazel. So his job is to assist, to almost act as an apprentice, to work with Bazel, to follow his leading. Now, there are some things that we notice about Ohiliab. He is from the tribe of Dan. So if we were to go and look at the story of the tribe of Dan, we would see that they're kind of like that kind of off-ball, kind of offbeat cousin that no one really knows what to do with. <laughs> Dan is prone to violence. They, they are a very violent nation and they, uh, tribe, and they almost get wiped out completely themselves. They're supposed to be kind of judges, but... It doesn't work out very well. And so if you were to talk about the tribe of Dan in this setting, in this context, you might not expect much from anyone that comes from that tribe. You might look at Ohiliab and say, oh, you're from the tribe of Dan? Well, then you can't be a servant of God. Then you're not good enough. And so for those of you that struggle with self-doubt and say, is there any way that I could serve God with my giftings? Ohiliab should be uh, just a person that encourages you, that gives you confidence, that God chooses those people that the world doesn't expect much from. He chooses people, kind of the hidden gems, and says, I want them to be my servants. I see something special in them. Now, at Cornerstone, I think it's fair to say that our Ohiliabs are sort of our ministry teams. You can see our ministry team table set up around uh, the room. Their job is to help you know, the elders and deacons, uh, but also take ownership for their task. But really, we're, the elders and the deacons are going to give things that they can do. So we have connections, worship and media, children's ministry, outreach, trustees, the trustees of the deacons. Now, you can also be an Ohiliab just kind of person as you're willing to apprentice or learn. So maybe you want to apprentice on the worship team, or uh, you're not ready to become a small group leader, but you're interested in learning how to host or uh, coming alongside of leader and, and learning what it means to facilitate a small group discussion. These are all ways that you can become Ohiliabs. And if you go around to the tables, I'm sure you'll find other ways that you can be just a humble helper. 
And this role does take humility. It takes the humility to say that I'm not, I'm not ready to be a leader yet. I'm not ready to decide on my own. I want to submit to their leadership, to, to God's vision. Ultimately, I want to submit to Jesus. Now, I want to share some examples of Bazels, of servant leaders, and of Ohiliabs, of humble helpers. Uh, just kind of what I've seen of people. I'm not going to choose anyone here at Cornerstone. These are all my past experiences, so no one has to feel awkward. Um, but I was thinking back to my, my church that I grew up in. So Mountain View Bible Fellowship, MVBF. Uh, and that was in Estes Park, Colorado. And Bob was someone who worked faithfully at the church. He, he came each Sunday, I believe, and set up all the, the chairs in the gym. Because we had a gym, we would set up the Sunday school rooms. Well, Bob would do it. And he would come each week faithfully, set up the dividers, and set up the chairs. Bob was a, uh, a garbage man. He worked in waste management, but he found this other place where he could be used by God, just to serve God in a simple way, setting up the chairs. He was a humble helper. At my home church, there was also Scott. Scott served faithfully on the worship team. First, he was just playing the piano, but then as needs arose, he became the leader of the worship team and would play and, and lead the team. And uh, he even sang and gave his testimony, and, and Scott had a stutter. It was amazing how God used someone who, who struggled with physical issues to bring so much glory and praise to him. He was a servant leader. Now, I moved out to Virginia, and I went to church at McLean Bible Church, a huge church. And uh, one of my friends, uh, Rob, volunteered at McLean Bible and he would hand out bulletins and help take the offering every single week. He was a humble helper. My other friend, Maria, she volunteered uh, with the college Bible study. And so she led the college Bible study for uh, the ladies, the women, and got to know the girls that way. She was an example of a servant leader. Now, at Emmanuel Church, at our, our parent church in Chelmsford, uh, I, I, I just thought immediately of John who took over the sound booth after our John left. And he was someone who wasn't sure he could do it because he had a hearing aid, but he was willing to give it a try. I think he is a great example of a humble helper. And at Emmanuel, there's also Mary, who serves in the soup kitchen, and she leads a small group for women. I think she's both an example of a helper and a leader. God calls us to serve. How will you answer Notice that there are all sorts of different ways you can serve God. God calls us to serve. How will you answer? We need servant leaders. We need humble helpers. And there's one more type of servant that we see in this text. It is the skilled workers. Skilled workers are gifted volunteers. So the second half of verse 6 says this, Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything that I have commanded you. And if we go through the next couple of verses, you would see uh, the tables and uh, lampstands and arcs and all the different things that they build. Skilled workers are gifted volunteers. I, I kind of put this as the end category for just anyone willing to serve. Maybe you don't have as much time as a servant leader or a humble helper to qu quite dive that much in. But if you're willing to do something, then this is your category, your calling. Now, the NIV, we're reading from the New International Version, it says, I have given ability to all the skilled workers. 
Now, if I read the NASB, it is a kind of, it's, a, it's more closer to the original. It says this. It says, in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill. In the hearts of anyone who is skillful, I have put that skill. That tells us something really cool about the God we believe in, that anytime we're gifted at something, that we're, we're good at, God has put that there in us so that we can serve him, so that we can honor him. God has given that to us as a gift. And so it's our responsibility, it's our, it's our role to give it back to God and say, God, I'm going to use this as a, as a pleasing offering to you to, to serve you in a special way because I want to bring you praise because I'm so thankful for the gift that you have put into my heart and into my life. And just like Andy said earlier during the service as we looked at some of those passages, it means everyone is gifted. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, if you're a man or woman, boy or girl, God can use you. God gifts us together. And if we were to read through this passage, we would see all the different ways God gifts these skilled workers, all the different things these skilled workers make. They make the tent, the ark, its cover, Furnishings, a table, a gold lampstand, an altar, a basin, priestly garments, and anointing oil. I know it took two different types of giftings to make anointing oil and a tent. God uses all sorts of talents, all sorts of gifts to bring, uh, to, to bring honor to, to himself, to build up his kingdom. And notice what all of these things have in common. They're all instruments of worship. The tent is a way to bring God worship. The anointing oil, the garments, they're all things that bring God praise. And there's a very simple but powerful principle at work here. This means no matter what you do, you can be offering God worship. That by serving, by giving of our time, we are bringing God praise. That every act of service is also an act of worship. So worship isn't just singing Worship isn't just listening to the message. Worship is honoring God with your gifts, with your skills. Maybe it'll be on a Saturday afternoon, but maybe it'll be during the week when you're fixing a meal for someone that needs a dinner. Isn't it wonderful how God has called us to worship him in all sorts of different ways? God calls us to serve. How will you answer We need skilled workers. We need humble helpers. We need servant leaders. Which one are you? Which one do you fit into? Now, the best way, the best way to apply this message is just very simply to stay after the service, go around to the different ministry tables, and learn about the different ministries. You don't have to sign up for everything. In fact, I encourage you, don't sign up for everything, but sign up for something. Try something. Just try something. And that's a way that you can begin to honor God with your skills. The worst thing that can happen, so this is the worst case scenario, is that you sign up for something and you realize you are not gifted, you are not skilled. And so then you just say, you know what, I can't do this, I'm going to go try something else. I know from personal experience that I am not gifted at running a sound booth, and that only took me four years to figure out. So hopefully it doesn't take you that long. We want joyful volunteers. We want teachable volunteers who want to serve God. And I think if you are someone who is already giving of your time, who is invested in Cornerstone and serving, I think you should feel encouraged. Feel encouraged that you are honoring God, that you are worshiping him, that you're, you're obeying him. But I think there's another principle here that you can take home. Be teachable. 
Maybe you've been doing something for quite some time. Well, be humble. Be willing to accept correction and get even better at what you're doing. That's how we can continue to honor God no matter what station you're in. Now, the Connections ministry team, so they're the ones who kind of orchestrated this ministry fair, they sent out an email this week where they, they promised, they promised all the leaders of all the different ministries that Jonathan would give a heart-stirring message on service. So no pressure, right? Now, I cannot think of any other way to stir your heart, to, to move you to action, but to remind you of what Jesus has done for you. See, we don't follow just men and women on this mission. We follow Christ, who lived a life of perfect service. Jesus cared for the poor. He cared for the needy. He taught God's truth. He went throughout his ministry honoring God continually. He was the perfect servant, but that perfect servant became the suffering servant on the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about this suffering servant who is high and lifted up. That's who Jesus became on our behalf. So when he was going through his life, living that perfect way, always honoring and obeying God, he wasn't just serving the people of his time. He was serving you and me. Because he went as the innocent, perfect sacrifice to the cross. And he was nailed on a real cross, and he died a real death to pay for our sins to pay for all the ways that we keep our skills and our gifts and our talents to ourselves and we don't use it to honor God. Jesus took the punishment for that. And he rose three days later. He rose Sunday morning into glorious new life. And now he says, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, if you'll put everything on me, if you'll say, I'm all in for Jesus, I put my faith in him, guess what you get? You get those, those years of perfect service on your record. Jesus was the perfect suffering servant. And suddenly now when God looks at you, he sees the perfect suffering servant. He sees someone who has never blown it, who is a perfect 10, who always honors God. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the good news for you and for me. And that should give us immense hope when we sign up to, the, to go to these tables because our, our self-worth is now not dependent on how well uh, you, we greet other people or how well we sing on the worship team. Our self-worth is entirely dependent on Christ because he took the, sacrifice, he took the, the punishment for us. That's how much he loves us. There's nothing more motivating or heart-stirring than that, than Christ Jesus himself. Come. Come, come and follow your chief shepherd on his mission. We need servant leaders, we need humble helpers, and we need gifted volunteers. God calls us to serve. How will you answer? God calls us to serve. How will you answer? Neil Armstrong was the first man to step onto the surface of the moon, and this is a picture. This photograph is of, uh, one of one of those first footprints on the moon, on a whole different planet. His famous words are, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. What's one small step you can take tonight? You never know where it'll lead. Honoring God, 
furthering his kingdom, bringing him praise. You don't know what can happen unless you try. God calls us to serve. How will you answer? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this message. We pray that you would bless our ministry fair after the service, Lord. Would you direct people where you want them to go? And would you bless this offering as we give not only of our time with the ministry fair, but we give of our finances to further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.